Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. My name is Rob Berry. It's great to be with you this morning. And um, there might be a little part of my journey if we have known each other for a while that you don't know about, and that is I grew up Roman Catholic. Did anybody else grow up here Roman Catholic in here? Okay, a couple hands. And here's what you need to know about my journey in Roman Catholicism. I was a pretty good Roman Catholic, if I can brag a little bit. I was an altar boy, which some of you are like have no clue what that means, but that's just like the guy that helps the priest that's in the white robe. And I did this for years. I did this with my younger brother. I've got three brothers. My, my second brother were Irish twins. We did that together along with my dad, Bob Berry. The three of us were like the trifecta of altar boys growing up in North Dallas. And my dad convinced me to re-up every single year just to get like the free trip after serving for 50 weeks, 51 weeks, you got to hang out at Six Flags for free in the summertime with the rest of the altar boys. That was like worth it to me. So, you know, as I moved on in my journey with Roman Catholicism, when I hit 16 between the summer, you know, the summer between my sophomore and my junior year, I got invited to go to a Young Life camp in Colorado. And that was the first time I had ever heard the gospel that Jesus's death his burial and resurrection for my sin was the only thing I needed to be in a right relationship with God. And that, that week at Young Life Camp, Frontier Ranch, literally changed everything. And I stayed in the Roman Catholic Church for a season, and I began to look at things that were sacraments, things you did normally, and look at the gospel. And it appeared to me like I had to trust in the gospel plus do this thing. Let me give you an example. What we call the Eucharist in the Roman Catholic Church, we call communion or the Lord's Supper. And I would look at that and be like, hey, that feels like you're adding on something on top of the gospel. So you know what? I'm going to chunk it. Forget communion. Forget the Eucharist. And years later, I realized after reading my Bible, oh my gosh, what a gift communion is. The Lord's Supper. I realized that there was a better version of the Eucharist, communion, than the one I had grown up with. And then there's confession. In the Roman Catholic Church, we call that the sacrament of reconciliation. And that's where you sit down with the priest and you confess your sins to the priest so that you can be forgiven. And I looked at the gospel and I looked at that. I'm like, you know what? I'm done with reconciliation and confession. Years later, especially here, right? City Bridge, you're with us at Watermark. Learn, no, confession is a gift. Go read Psalm 32. Confession is a gift. And it's something you don't need to practice with a priest. It's something you practice with the body of Christ. Confess your sins to one another. And I realized that the biblical view of confession was better than the one I grew up with. And then there's the priest. That's just weird. We don't even have to just chunk that. I don't need a priest. Got the gospel. Everything I need is in Jesus. And I came to realize years later, reinforces, I've just devotionally been reading Hebrews 7. Oh my gosh, I, I need a priest. 
you need a priest. All a priest did is someone who stands between you and a holy God. You and a God whose holiness is like an incinerating holiness. You and I need a priest. And what Hebrews 7 wants to talk about is there is a better priest. And it's crazy this idea that we all need a priest has just been implanted across almost everybody across the face of the world. Everybody in some religion, real, like there's a priest representing that religion. It's almost like God has put in the conscience of man a need for a mediator, a priest between us and God. And so we're, today we're going to be looking at the better priest named Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. And I got to just tell you, like, this passage is confusing. I mean, 20 times into reading this thing, I'm like, this is still kind of confusing. So we're going to try to simplify what Hebrews 7 is talking about. We're going to start with the first priest, the first priest. That's the first thing we're going to see in verses 1 through 10. And let's get going here. For this Melchizedek, let me just stop right there. Melchizedek is where we ended chapter 6 with the word Melchizedek. If you're listening here, you've heard the word Melchizedek three times, and you're like, who in the world is Melchizedek? That guy gets four verses in your entire Old Testament. Three of them are in Genesis chapter 14, and one of them is in Psalm 110 chapter 4. And so if you're listening to this, you're kind of like, why does he keep talking about Melchizedek, and who is Melchizedek? that Jesus is in Melchizedek's priesthood. Here we go. He's going to explain the who. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is by first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of his life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. All right, there's four things I want to draw your attention to here as far as to explain who is this Melchizedek. First thing is, is he is met by Abraham. And Abraham has just met all these other kings in war. And these other kings have met Abraham in war. This priest meets Abraham in peace. That's the first thing we see about Melchizedek. He is not at war with God's people. He is at peace with God's people. Second, it says this, he is the priest of the most high God. You may want to circle that. That is the first time in your entire Bible that you will see the word priest show up in Genesis 14. So he is a priest of the Most High God. Before there ever is a priesthood, we see Melchizedek, who is a priest of the High God, and he's not even a seed of Abraham. He just meets Abraham in peace. Third, first look at verse 2. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. So this king, this priest, is not only a priest, but he's a king priest. And he's a 
king of righteousness. Third thing, fourth thing, here we go. And then he is also king of Salem, that is the king of peace. So this Melchizedek, who is probably completely unknown to you, he is king of a kingdom of peace. Does that sound like anybody you've ever heard of before? This Melchizedek, who gets four verses of your Bible, of your Old Testament. He meets his God's people in peace. He's the king of peace, king of righteousness, and he's a priest of the most high God. That's the who. Now let's jump into the what. Verse 4 through 10. He's going to go after two people that are central to your Jewish faith. Abraham, father Abraham and many sons, many sons of father Abraham. He's going to go after Abraham, and he's going to go after Levi, who is central to the life of any believer, Old Testament believer. Let's jump into Abraham. See how great this man was, whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take from the people, that is, from their brothers, even though they are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. This is the key verse, verse 7, in this whole 10 verses here. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. So what's going on there? Abraham is like the BMOC. He's the big man on campus. If you're a good Jew, your life starts with Abraham and ends with Abraham. Abraham consumes who you are and your identity is wrapped up that you are a seed of Abraham. He's your daddy. And what he's saying here is that what we see in the first four verses is Melchizedek blesses Abraham and Abraham returns by tithing to Melchizedek. It is beyond dispute, verse 7, that the inferior is blessed by the superior. The biggest name in your Old Testament Bible is inferior to the one who blesses him, Melchizedek. If you're a Jew listening to this as a completed Jew, a Jewish believer, your jaw is on the floor right now. Because you're like, wait a minute, somebody's greater than the greatest person I can imagine in your Old Testament? Yes. His name is Melchizedek. And then he starts picking at the scab with Levi. Now you have to understand, Levi, if you're a new believer here, let me just kind of walk you very quickly through Father Abraham, who many sons, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob had 12 tribes. They all end up in Egypt for 430 years. And then in Egypt, God raises up Moses from the tribe of Levi. And he's got a brother named Aaron. And from the tribe of Levi and Aaron come the entire priesthood. And the priesthood is with you from that point on. Under Roman occupation, under Assyrian occupation, the priesthood never goes away. It is the most central thing in your life if you are a Jew, is the Levitical priesthood. And here's what he says, verse 8. In one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, 
for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Okay, let's just be honest. Loins a weird word. Okay, but we just have to deal with it. It's biblical. So typically, the Levitical priesthood would receive tithes from the people. In fact, the other 11 tribes, their brothers would bring tithes to the Levitical priests. They would offer them to God and be received by the Levites and the priesthood. But that's not what happened here. Abraham tithes to Melchizedek. And because He gave some of Abraham's money to Melchizedek. It's basically like he's taken from Levi's money. Levi essentially tithed to Melchizedek. And all you need to know is like, who's superior? Well, it's the one who's receiving the tithe. Like when you give here at City Bridge, you're not giving to City Bridge, the staff. You are giving to the Lord. And in the same way here, Abraham, through Levi, gave a tithe to Melchizedek. All he's trying to do here in the first 10 verses is say this. The biggest name you can imagine in your Old Testament is trumped by Melchizedek. The biggest name in your Old Testament is not Abraham or Levi or David. It is Melchizedek, and he gets four verses. So let me ask you this. What's central to your life right now? If Levi and Levitical priesthood was central to the Jew's life, what is central to your life? What the writer of Hebrews wants to continue to make a case for is whatever that central thing in your life is, Jesus is better. Let's move on to the second section. We looked at the first priest, Melchizedek. Now we're going to look at the final priest who's Jesus. We looked at the first priest, now we're going to look at the final priest. Let's jump into verse 11. We're going to see that the final priest is perfect. Here we go. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there be for there have to been another priest to rise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? Here's what's going on here. The first 10 verses were comparing Melchizedek to Abraham and Levi. The next 18 verses are contrasting the Levitical priesthood with Melchizedek and Jesus's final priesthood. This word perfection here. Now, if perfection, we see that word all through Hebrews and here's what it does not mean. It does not mean like you're batting the thousand or you haven't missed a shot or I scored perfectly on my, t- my test. My SAT was perfect. I didn't miss one. Blameless, spotless. That is not what that word means right here. When you see the word perfect, almost every time in Hebrews, it means the finality of something, the culmination of something, the end of something. It is the last version and the final, the ultimate. So in order to illustrate the word perfect... I want to introduce my old iPhone 3S, which is already powered off. Um, anybody remember? Anybody in here have an iPhone 3S? Okay, back in the day. I mean, S, it's greater than the 3 because S means speed. So um, I know we have Android users in here, but this we're just going to use this for the illustration purposes, okay? This iPhone 3S 
I remember the day I got it, I started with a Trio, which had a stylus pen, but I upgraded to the 3S. And it was awesome. And if you ever watch an Apple keynote address, every time they release a new iPhone, they pretty much use the same tagline. Hey, Apple iPhone 3S, it's the best iPhone we've ever made. iPhone 4, iPhone 5, iPhone 7, it's the best iPhone we've ever made. I literally can't even sell this iPhone now or give it away. I had to like ask 40 people for a charger to power this thing on. We are going to use this to represent the Levitical priesthood because this was awesome at the time, but it's not the final version. This is like the Levitical priesthood. And we're going to continue reading with this in mind in the Levitical priesthood as we contrast Melchizedek's priesthood, which Jesus is a part of, and the, Melchiz- and the Levi Levitical priesthood. So here we go. Verse 12, what makes this priest perfect? What makes this priest final of Jesus, the culmination? Well, one, he's eternal. This priest, this high priest Jesus is eternal. Look at verse 12. For when there's a change in the priesthood, there's necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, that's Jesus, from which there, no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was a descendant from Judah. And in connection with that, the tribe Moses said nothing about priests. He becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily sin, by the power of an indestructible life. Like I underlined that, that phrase, indestruct, power of an indestructible life in my Bible. And then he quotes Psalm 110, verse 4. It is witness of him, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, if, you're fun, if you just want to geek out on Bible study, go look at how many times the word forever shows up around Jesus' high priest. It's seven, the perfect number, the complete number in Hebrew. So let's unpack this, this passage right here. Where there's a change in the priesthood, there's necessarily a change in the law as well, okay? So here's what he's saying here. Let me power this thing back on. I mean, nothing swipes up, down, nothing does that, okay? <laughs> the Levitical priesthood, the law dictated that it had to be someone from the tribe of Levi. But Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, so how does that all work? Well, if Jesus is the priest, that means the law has to change. If it's not a Levitical priest, which is dictated here, that means if this changes, this changes as well. So why is it better that this one has changed? Well, because priests die. They have to be replaced. Jesus is qualified to be a high priest forever because he's eternal. He has an indestructible life. There is a foreverness about your high priest that will never change. So he's the final priest because he's eternal. The second reason he's the final priest and the final high priest starts in verse 18. It says this, For on one hand, a former commandment 
is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. We're going to come back to that. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it is not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, and we're going to quote Psalm 110 again, verse 4, but a previous section, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. So what's going on there? What's going on is that the Levitical priest, that can change because the law can change. And so look, what's better than a priesthood that can change is a priesthood that is not guaranteed by the law, but guaranteed by an oath or promise. All last week, Jeff Parker talked about how God's word is true. If God promises something, he is good to fulfill his promise. And so where the law changes, an oath never changes. Meaning Jesus is locked in to be a priest forever because of God the Father's oath to him. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. That's coming in chapter 8. So what makes this final priest better? He's eternal and he is a promised. He is made a high priest by oath. All right, let's jump into verse 23. The culmination of all this is the writer wants to communicate to you, Jesus is a better high priest. Jesus is a better priest. And the first reason why, it's because he's permanent. He's permanent. Look at what it says in verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing office. But he holds this priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to him. How do you feel about your salvation right now? Feel like it's kind of in the balance, the scales? Have I done enough? Does God like me? Does he love me? I have found great comfort over the last two weeks, just kind of unpacking in my own devotional time, what does it mean that Rob Berry is saved to the utmost? What does it mean that you, having professed your faith in Christ, are saved to the utmost? So I want you to keep your finger on chapter seven, and I want you to go two verses deep into chapter six. So open your Bible, just go back up to verse 19 of chapter 6. Remember, chapter 6 ends with Melchizedek, and that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. But look at why it really matters in verse 19. We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
me ask you, does your soul feel anchored right now? Does your soul feel anchored right now? Or do you feel the way I feel every once in a while? It's just, Rob Berry is a hot mess. I'm all over the place. Here's what he wants to say right here. Your soul is anchored to a person. But it's not just a person. Your soul is anchored to a priest. And his name is Jesus. And he is permanent. What's your last week and two look like? And I just think about all the things that have just, right? Marriage, kids' compliance, the election. I mean, all that. Job. Is your soul anchored to the person of Jesus? Because if your soul isn't anchored to something permanent, you're going to drift, which is where we've been in the book of Hebrews. And if your soul isn't anchored to a person, you're going to drift to doubting. And the writer of Hebrews wants to remind you, believer, that you are tethered. You are tethered, regardless of the circumstances, you are tethered to Jesus. And Jesus is tethered to the Father. He is permanent. And you aren't going anywhere. Rest in that. Why are we talking about Melchizedek today and Jesus? Because he's the one that shows up right here that you're anchored to. Your soul is anchored to something permanent here. But it doesn't just stop with your soul being tethered to Jesus. Look at what he says at the beginning of verse 25. Since he always lives to make intercession for them, meaning you, meaning hot mess Rob Barry, Jesus lives, he lives to make intercession for you. That's just a fancy word for pray, which is just a fancy word for talking to. And I know sometimes I can just feel guilty because my prayer life isn't what it should be. You ever feel that way? You're like, man, wish I could be a prayer warrior like that person. And the reality for Rob Barry and for you is whether you're talking to the Lord, Jesus is talking to the Father on your behalf, whether you're praying or not. Is that your view of Jesus? My view of Jesus has been changing from chapter 6 and chapter 7. He lives to talk to the Father about you. That is a great high priest. And then he ends this section with just the idea that Jesus is just better than any former priesthood we can imagine. 
And this is where this phone illustration breaks down because there's always going to be another iPhone. Jesus, there's not going to be another version of the priesthood. He is final. He is the end. Look at what it says in verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those priests to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins and then for the sins of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. You know, we've been talking about how Jesus is the better priest. He's the better messenger. Like that little video we show you at the beginning, he's the better sacrifice. He's the better tabernacle. He's the, he's the better go on and on and on and on. He's the better priest. So let's just take a look at this chart up here. When we talk about Jesus is better, we're not just talking about he's better in degree. Like the Levitical priest dies and is replaced. Jesus, our final priest, is forever and permanent. Is Jesus better in degree, like from a five to a 10 than Levitical priests? I guess. But how do you compare someone who dies and replace with someone who's forever and permanent? See, the whole message of Hebrews is not just Jesus is better. He's incomparably better than anything you've ever seen. Levitical priest continually offers a sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed himself once for all. How do you compare those two things? Sinner, holy, innocent, separated from sinners, unstained, exalted, appointed by law, appointed by promise of intercedes one time a year, the day of atonement, continually intercedes for you. How do you begin to compare what was with what is final, Jesus? You can't. So when we say Jesus is better, he's incomparably better than anything you've ever read about in your Old Testament. But this whole passage, just like your soul being anchored to a permanent, tethered Jesus, is incredibly relational. This, whole th- this passage can be confusing I can't tell you how many family trees I've drawn out just from this passage. It's incredibly relational. We're going to end going back to that verse that I told you we'd come back to. We're going to look at verse 19 and 25. It says this, For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. Consequently, he is able to save the utmost those who draw near to God through him. What's wrong with the law? Well, the law doesn't draw you near to God. The law convicts you of sin. Jesus, as a high priest, we draw near to God through him. That's why Jesus, as the high priest, is better than anything in your Old Testament in the law. Because the law doesn't draw you near to God. Jesus draws you near to God. 
And that's just like a stark contrast to the ways, you know, we're about to get in the Christmas season. We, we love to joke in our house that like, I don't know, you may be on the naughty list. We'll see how that works out for you Christmas Eve. We'd love joking with our fork. It's kind of mean. But, <laughs> you know, we can feel, I can feel that way when it comes to the Lord. Have I done enough? And that is not the God of the book of Hebrews. It's not the God of your Bible. The God of your Bible is draw near to me. Draw near to me. Jesus is constantly interceding. I'm not going to let you go. Draw near to me. It is relational. So I would say today, today's the day. If you feel distant, untethered, drifting, doubting from the Lord. Today is the day to raise your hand and say, Lord, I want to draw near to you through Jesus, my priest. And you will meet a father that is looking to embrace you and draw you near, not to condemn you. That is a better high priest. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.